Hi, this is Shiva Raman again from Johns Hopkins University. So let's continue our survey of post-Whipple or post-pancreatic duodenectomy imaging by talking about a number of different complications that I think are critical for you as a radiologist to be able to identify. So we're going to quickly do a survey of nine common complications, things that I see on a relatively regular basis at Johns Hopkins, and things that I think you should be familiar with. Now, let's start by talking about, by far, the most important complication of the Whipple procedure. This is the complication that all pancreatic surgeons dread, and that's pancreatic fistula. Now, pancreatic fistula is a kind of a fancy term that I never really understood until I got to Hopkins. I always used to think, fistula, fistula between what and what? What exactly are they talking about? Well, it's basically a fancy term that means pancreatic leak. And that's leakage of amylase-rich pancreatic secretions from somewhere in the pancreatic duct. Now, sometimes that leakage is as a result of a breakdown of the pancreatic jejunal anastomosis, or sometimes it's just because there was a little bit of a small surgical injury somewhere in the pancreatic parenchyma, and a little bit of pancreatic secretions are leaking out. Now, regardless, it's important to remember that pancreatic fistula is primarily a clinical diagnosis. It's actually not a primary radiologic diagnosis. Now, the surgeons make this diagnosis based on the drain fluid amylase level. So if you do a lot of Whipple imaging, you realize that almost in every case, there's going to be a surgical drain terminating within the surgical bed. And the surgeons are regularly going to check that drain fluid amylase level for the first few days after the surgery. Now, on the third post-operative day, if that amylase level is considered to be three times higher than the serum amylase level, then the patient is deemed to have a pancreatic fistula or a pancreatic leak. Now, the pancreatic fistulas are the single most important cause of morbidity and mortality after the Whipple procedure. It's a big deal. Surgeons are always trying to do things to reduce the risk of pancreatic fistula, but even despite doing that, the reported rates of fistulas may be as high as about 14 or 15 percent. And if you do get a pancreatic fistula, your mortality rate is pretty high, ranges between one and a half to about 3.7 percent. Now, pancreatic fistulas are important not only because they can form fluid collections and abscesses, but because they have a high association with other important complications, including things like pancreatitis, post-operative hemorrhage, delayed gastric emptying, and even sepsis. I've seen several of these patients get very, very sick and do very, very poorly as a result of pancreatic fistula. Now, pancreatic fistulas are not completely just as a result of some kind of a surgical problem. They're also probably the result of some kind of an intrinsic abnormality in the pancreas, or as a result of the intrinsic nature of the pancreas. A pancreas that has a smaller pancreatic duct or a softer pancreatic parenchyma is probably more likely to suffer a pancreatic fistula. And it's also thought that significant intraoperative blood loss is also associated with the development of a fistula. Now, even though this is fundamentally a clinical diagnosis based on the drain amylase fluid levels, it's also something that you may be able to suggest based on CT findings as well. If you see a large fluid collection or even a hematoma immediately adjacent to the pancreatic jejunostomy, particularly if that collection is in direct contiguity with either the pancreatic duct or the anastomotic suture line, you have to raise the possibility that you're dealing with a pancreatic leak or a pancreatic fistula. So here's a classic example. Notice in this case, the patient is immediately status post to Whipple procedure, and you can see that there's a well-defined fluid collection immediately adjacent to the SMA and the SMV running along the course of the pancreatic jejunal anastomosis. Now, there's gas within the collection. It's loculated, so it looks like an abscess. But given its contiguity with the anastomosis, you as a radiologist have to raise the possibility of a pancreatic fistula or a pancreatic leak. Now, in this case, there was never any clinical ambiguity that that's what it was. Notice how the drain fluid amylase level is sky high, probably 
200 times this, the level that you find in the blood. So this patient, by definition, has a pancreatic fistula. Now, it's important to realize that even if it's coming from the anastomosis, pancreatic fistulas are not going to be treated regularly with surgical uh, repair. It's not like the surgeons go in automatically to repair the anastomosis because there's a leak. I'd say 99% of the time, they're just going to put a drain into the collection, and most of the time, that pancreatic leak or fistula is going to heal on its own. Now, the only times the surgeons are going to go in to actually deal with or surgically revise an anastomosis if you, is if you get massive anastomotic failure. If the anastomosis completely breaks down, you get a huge amount of gas, large fluid collections, well, I've seen a few times the surgeons go back in. But otherwise, that's certainly the exception rather than the rule. Now, here's another example. Much smaller, small fluid collection. Again, it's immediately adjacent to the suture line. This patient has a pancreatic fistula. Now, pancreatic fistulas are the most important surgical leaks that you get after a Whipple. But that being said, they're not the only leaks that you can get. You can rarely get leaking uh, leaks from the other two anastomoses as well. Now, gastrojejunostomy leaks, when they happen, can be devastating. Really high mortality rate. And most of the time, if you end up with a leak from the gastrojejunostomy, the surgeons have to go back in and do some kind of an operative intervention, usually a revision of the anastomosis. But that being said, gastrojejunostomy leaks are extraordinarily rare, well less than 1%. And if you think about it, that makes sense. Surgeons have been performing gastrojejunal anastomoses for decades, if not a century. They're really, really good at them. And for that reason, I can't think of the last gastrojejunostomy leak that I saw. Now, if you were in a situation where you really suspected a gastrojejunostomy leak for one reason or another, at that point, it would probably be a good idea to give positive oral contrast to see if there's active extravasation from the anastomosis. Now, the other potential site of leakage is the biliary enteric anastomosis. As I mentioned, either the hepaticojejunostomy or the cholidocojejunostomy. Again, it's relatively uncommon, and when it does happen, it tends to be secondary to technical failure during surgery. Now, I find these relatively difficult to diagnose. They're not that common. We tend not to think about them as much as pancreatic fistulas. So if I see a fluid collection in the general vicinity of the surgical bed, my assumption usually is that it's coming from the pancreatic jejunal anastomosis or from the pan pancreatic remnant. I tend not to assume that it's coming from the biliary enteric anastomosis. And for that reason, these often tend to be unsuspected. But if you do think about it, you all, it it's probably the best study to do is an hepatobiliary scintigraphy study and see if you can see direct extravasation of radiotracer from the biliary system. Now, Pancreatic fistula is, of course, the most important complication that we encounter during the Whipple procedure, but it's certainly not the only important complication. I'd say the second most important complication is the development of postoperative hemorrhage. Now, postoperative hemorrhage is a relatively rare but well-known complication on the part of the surgeons. This is something they're paying attention to and are very cognizant of. When it happens, the mortality rate can be sky high, perhaps up to about 38%. Now, most of the time when you end up with postoperative bleeding or hemorrhage after the Whipple, it's extraluminal. So you're going to see a big hematoma somewhere in the vicinity of the surgical bed or pancreatic jejunostomy. But in rare cases, postoperative hemorrhage can be intraluminal. It can be within the bowel. So this bleeding can manifest itself either as blood coming out of a drain, so coming out of that surgical drain that's sitting in the surgical bed, or it can, be, it can manifest itself as upper GI bleeding or bleeding per rectum. Either way, if you see bleeding after the Whipple procedure, you have to pursue it. That bleeding is typically termed as a sentinel bleed and typically is going to indicate that you have something much bigger going on. It can either herald the presence of a much larger bleed in the near future, the presence of a structural vascular abnormality, or in the worst case scenario, frank anastomotic dehiscence. 
Now, post-operative hemorrhage can be broadly divided into two types, and this is the surgical nomenclature. The surgeons refer to early post-operative hemorrhage as occurring in the first 24 hours after surgery. For the most part, if you end up with an early post-operative bleed, it's some kind of a problem at the GDA stump, typically inadequate ligation with active extravasation. On the other hand, bleeding later on, which typically is termed late post-operative hemorrhage after about five days, tends to be as a result of some kind of an actual structural abnormality in the vasculature. So it could be an erosion in the vasculature or even the formation of a pseudoaneurysm. Now, most of the time, you're still dealing with an abnormality of the GDA stump, either a pseudoaneurysm or an erosion at that site. But it can involve any of the vessels in the near vicinity of the Whipple bed, hepatic artery, celiac artery, or splenic artery. Now, unfortunately, not only are late postoperative bleeds associated with structural vascular abnormalities, they also have a strong association with anastomotic breakdown. So here's an example in a patient who's had the Whipple procedure, and this study was obtained immediately after surgery. There was bleeding coming directly from the abdominal drain. Now notice how there's a large hematoma in the anterior abdomen, and there's an active focus of extravasation in the middle of that hematoma. Now, not surprisingly, this patient was taken back to the operating room and was found to have active bleeding from their duodenal stump, or suture line. In other words, this was a GDA stump bleed. As I mentioned before, Early postoperative hemorrhage almost always is going to be associated with active extravasation from the GDA stump. Now, here's yet another example. This is a 52-year-old who had a Whipple procedure for pancreatic cancer. Now, this was several days after the initial surgery, and you can see that there's a large hematoma sitting immediately adjacent to the surgical bed. Now, if this hematoma had happened in the immediate perioperative period, like in the first day or so, you would assume that you're probably dealing with a GDA stump bleed. But because this is several days out, you have to make the supposition that you're dealing with some kind of a structural vascular abnormality. And that's exactly what it was. Notice how there's a large splenic artery pseudoaneurysm directly resulting in this large hematoma. Anytime you have late postoperative bleeding, you have to make a real search looking for any evidence of a pseudoaneurysm or other structural abnormality in the surgical bed. Now here's yet another example. This is a patient who had undergone a Whipple procedure for an ampullary tumor. Now, this, again, was obtained several days after surgery, and you can see that there's a big hematoma in the right hemiabdomen, and there's foci of active extravasation. Now, we looked at this, we looked at these images, and given the time course, we looked really hard on the arterial phase images for any evidence of a pseudoaneurysm. We couldn't find it. So the patient was actually taken to the angio suite, and there they found that there was this pretty sizable pseudoaneurysm, which was actively bleeding from the inferior pancreatic duodenal artery. Again, use the patient's time course following surgery to your advantage, and if you're dealing with a late bleed, always look for evidence of a pseudoaneurysm. Now here's another patient. Again, very similar story. Large hematoma in the right abdomen with active extravasation. In this case, on the other hand, it wasn't any kind of a structural abnormality that we could identify. There was no pseudoaneurysm. This just turned out to be a GDA stump bleed. Now, as I mentioned before, about two-thirds of hematomas in the setting of a recent Whipple are going to be extraluminal. So that bleeding, for the most part, is going to tend to be in the surgical bed. But about a third of the time, you can actually end up with bleeding in the GI tract itself. So these patients, rather than having blood coming out of a drain, are typically going to be either bleeding per the rectum or they're going to be, cough, or they're going to be throwing up blood with hematemesis. So in those cases, you can't just ignore the bowel. You need to look really carefully at the bowel on CT to make sure there's no blood products in there and that there's no evidence of intraluminal active extravasation. So here's a really over-the-top case. 
This patient had active GI hemorrhage after a recent Whipple procedure, and you can see that there's a large amount of hematoma distending a bunch of jejunal loops in the right upper quadrant. Now, again, knowing what we know, we looked very carefully at the bowel for any evidence of pseudoaneurysm or even active extravasation. We couldn't find anything. And this person actually ended up going to the angio suite. They couldn't find anything there. And so ultimately, this patient was taken to the operating room, and they found active bleeding from the pancreatic duodenal arcade. Understand the patient's history and look at, the, uh, look at the patient's images accordingly. So why don't we stop there? We'll take a quick break. And then we're going to end by talking about a number of other complications that I think are important for you to be cognizant of as well. So I'll see you shortly. Thanks. Thanks.